Always a pleasure to be back. Thank uh, Mordechai again for all his uh, efforts throughout the year. And uh, I think um, it was rigged that uh, this coming Memorial Day is on a Yontif. So I don't know if I'm going to see you again before uh, next Thanksgiving, but maybe while being Yushalayim, we'll be able to have them more often. Usually people complain it's too loud after I get going. Testing, testing. Good? Yeah. Okay. I'm sure there has been much discussion concerning the tragic events of last week. I'd like to discuss some of the hopefully positive reaction. <coughs> Thank you. Just in time. Sure. Extra cold. Thank you. Some of the reactions we can have in a positive direction trying to improve things both in Yisrael and uh, throughout the world. Let me begin with a quote from the Stipler. I believe I mentioned part of this, could be five, six years ago, probably in this room. And most people, when they hear this, think it's a bit sobering, maybe even a bit depressing. It's actually not. It actually, if heard the right way and learned the right way, it's uh, probably comforting. And that is that when we witness and we hear about tragic events that are going on somewhere else, issues that other people are going through, so we sometimes are under the misimpression that Baruch Hashem doesn't happen to us, we feel bad, we'd like to help out, but at the end of the day, it's not really in my backyard. Lushan of the Stipler and Kilis Yankov, Bal Kilis Yankov, Be'emes Kalmonos HaYisurim V'Hasabul, all difficult times and pressures that people have, V'chaim Anas Anig HaChaim, and the flip side, the pleasure that they have. Hakol nigzer min ha-shamayim b'reshashana. Everything is nigzer in Rosh Hashanah. V'yeshe l'shamit mizeh. And a person can't get away. Shema'odem ishtamit me'eze oil ha-mevilidei sabol. If something is, a person perceives there's too much pressure and they try to get rid of it, even though the pressure comes from their avedus ha-chayim, Yitzmach Tachtov Sevelacher, something else will pop up in its place. Which means there's X amount of pressure, effort, avoid the difficulty that everybody's going to encounter. And the question is, how do you want it? Do you want it through Mitzvah Samaisim Tevim, through Mesiris Nefesh? If not, it's going to come anyway. 
It's not going to be added, not going to be subtracted. Whether it's sickness, whether it's panasa issue, bizyanis, ketatas, marivus, machlekes, ben bali ishtai, spousal, mshchena, with neighbors, shutfum, with partners, lacha, shabayachavis, creditors, dikon, belishum tam, stam depression, avedas, achain, shimum, confusion, kehena, kehena. This list almost covers everything we have to go through. Nothing you're going to do is going to add or subtract from the simcha and the only that you're supposed to have versus the pressures and the hard work that we all have to go through. The stipler goes on to describe is, again, it depends how are you going to try to have it. Whenever I mention this idea, many people always ask me after the Shia, well, we see many tzaddikim who are meitzanefesh for everything, and they still have all these tzaris. Tzaddik, Rala, Roshav, Tevloi, Hashem is his for what's getting paid in Elam what's in Elam Why some people are zechet to stay some people are not. Not uh, the purview of the Shia. The reason I begin with this quote is because we sometimes sit in this situation, thousands and thousands of miles away. And you wonder, well, we're not better than they are. Why is it that often we find that Yidin and Eitz Yisrael are under fire, literally and figuratively, both in a Ruchmiyastik sense and a Gashmiyastik sense? And Panasa, by and large, is more difficult there. The daily pressures are more difficult and the stipple here is introducing us to a concept that everybody basically has to go through similar, not exact circumstances. So how are we, quote-unquote, Yetzi Archiyuvim, of the pressures that we seem, everybody's got their peckle, but it seems that we have it much easier. So when I throw out the question, how do we make up for that? We're not looking for trouble. Leolainu, the peace and tranquility should continue here in this uh, wonderful uh, gullus I say wonderful is that uh, we're here and it's never been, never been so sweet in terms of a gullus. So let me begin to answer the question with a, another kasha and a very interesting Tiger Anderson. You're all familiar, Musa from Rosh Hashanah wasn't that long ago, and the Pasik's been made into a number of very uh, popular songs. The Navi quote from HaKadosh Baruch Hu B'chvedeh B'atzmai Kaya Mar Hashem Zacharti L'Chesed Arayach Abbas K'lasayach Lechtech Acharai B'Amidbar Beretz L'Ezrua The fondest memory HaKadosh Baruch Hu has of Klai Yisrael is the original Chesed that we did by leaving Mitzrayim taking that leap of faith going into a Midbar which had Alpiterach HaTeva no food, no water no way to sustain one person let alone millions of people and Hashem remembers that chesed, and we use it as a schus whenever we daven, specifically in Yamim Naraim, but it's a chesed that Hashem remembers all year round. You look at the Tagim Yenison, before I quote the two words that are of interest to us in the Tagim Yenison, if I would ask you what's the primary schus 
of Klai Yisrael going after Meshavan and after Kosh Baruch Hu, going into the Midbar, it's the mere fact that it was a leap of faith. There was no food. There was nowhere to stop. There's no protection. And they didn't know what the plan was. And they're going. Which indeed is an incredible schus. You look at the Tagam Yenison. He says, on arba'in shanin. For 40 years. What does that mean? That we went, L'chaira, this chus was the original leap of faith. The fact that we jumped on, we followed Meshur Rabbeinu. If anything, one would imagine the 40 years after the month started and the Anunnah protected them and they saw exactly what was going on, that was relatively easy. And the Targum Yenison says that part and parcel of the schus is the fact that we were there for 40 years. Where exactly was the Mesiris Nefesh? I think the Pshat, and this Pshat I think speaks to American Jewry more than any other Tzibur of Klai Yisrael throughout this long and bitter Gullus. We never ever had a situation Anybody who says this is like the golden age of Spain was never in Spain, as opposed to myself who grew up there. Uh, uh, I wasn't there either, but uh, you look at the golden age of Spain, there was some Yidden with money, and they had some element of freedom. It was ain't a diamond, no similarity to what we have here in America. We, we, we can't be masig. In, in Spain, we had real enemies, and there were plenty of people walking around under pressure, and there was fear, just there was less fear. And there was... Here in America, there's still some but by and large, most people have the ability to put food on the table and pay the mortgage. Kaj Baruch gave us complete freedom to do whatever we want. There's probably anti-Semitism under the surface, but uh, again, by and large, we don't wake up in the morning worried about it. We meet a cop on the street. We say good morning. We're not worried that he's going to put out a warrant for our arrest or barge into the house. Extremely unusual for Gullah's conditions. Extremely unusual. And the fact, Takim Yenison is pointing out, that we had similar conditions maybe under David and Shlomo, Melech, and before that, in the Midbar. We had Nadech Kapanasa and the Munfell, and we were protected, and no one was attacking, and if they were, they, they lost and you woke up in the morning, you had very little to worry about. So what's the godless, I'm just trying to the kasha, so what's the godless of the Arbim Shanin that the Targum Yenison says is the schus that Gosh Baruch remembers? The answer is that the mere fact that Hashem takes care of everything around you and protects you and gives you panasa and gives you yishavadas, which is the most important ingredient, something we haven't had for a couple thousand years, does not necessarily translate into a Klai Yisrael, into a Tzibur, doing their utmost in every area of Avedis Hashem. You would think that for thousands of years they daven to Hashem, just get the Cossacks out of here, and we'll learn as much as we can, and we'll daven well, and we'll daven with more kavana, and give us more money, and we'll start giving staka. This is what you didn't daven for for thousands of years. Well, Hashem finally, Hashem has his own timeline, of course. Hashem decided that uh, post-Holocaust, if you'll call it, that we need the rest. And Hashem said, okay, very unusual gullus conditions. I'm going to give you money. I'm going to give you peace and tranquility. No pogroms. And you're going to have all the freedoms you need. 
And we're going to try it for the next 40 years, the next 140 years. Let's see what you do with it. And Tiger Edison said, Claudia saw had this very test in the Midbar, and the godless was for 40 years, they did nothing but focus on their Ruchnis. And that was the Chartil of Chesed not just the Chesed of jumping on the wagon, not that original leap of faith, the fact that for 40 years you were able to maintain that focus and understand that because Baruch is giving you all these tools, you got to deliver. And I believe, Baruch Hashem, that's what's going on here in America. The good news is that we have no more excuses. The bad news is, is that we have no more excuses. In a nutshell. All the time, they have anybody, all that, speak to your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. It, it was very hard to focus. We didn't know where your next meal was coming from. We didn't know where the next pogrom was coming from, where the next war was coming from. You have a roof over your head. It was very disconcerting. The, the Chiddush is we had such chashavayid throughout the Deris that they still were able to do it and pass on the Messiah. And here we finally have a situation where no one's bothering us. I know what you're all thinking. Most of the zebra over here still has to get up and be at work. That's why I come and say these things only on Thanksgiving. <laughs> we want to know, they say, this, here's a microcosm of what, uh, what we would do if we have a day where we woke up and the sun is shining almost and it's not snowing. You guys got it easy. We had a half a foot yesterday. And you can get up and go to a shear and go to another shear and then another shear and then dive in. And no one's breaking in, no one's watching the door, no one's sitting here with trepidation, what's going to be? And all the day's meals are paid for. So Coach Brocha said, here, have a Thanksgiving, what are you doing with it? So, so far, everybody here is passing the test. Question is, what do we do? I don't think anybody here is going to work tomorrow. What do we do on Monday? What do we do when we get home from work? What are we doing before work? How are we benching at work? What are we doing at our lunch break? What are we doing with all these fabulous, fabulous tools and gifts that Clay Soul hasn't had for thousands of years? So one person mentioned to me, he said, yeah, he thinks he's learning. He definitely is, uh, has his morning seder, has his night seder. I asked him what's going on at work. He said, it's very busy. I said, it's very busy all day. I don't know this guy's job. It's not that busy. Uh, so I said, it would be a little less busy, first of all, if you turned off your computer when you weren't using it. And then I asked him what he does at lunch, and he says he has to catch up on the news. That means to chazer over the news 18 times. Let's be real. And uh, we sort of came to an understanding that even if he can scrape away the time without stealing from the boss, he would maybe get another five, ten minutes Five, ten minutes of learning. If we would know what a minute of learning was, we wouldn't talk like that. Chavaz Chaim counts up the amounts of words we could speak in a minute. Each word is a separate dindaraisa chiv of Talmud Torah. And there are many, many instances in Tanakh where Hashem, Kaviyachal, sets up a very close call. And you have to sit back and wonder why. One of my favorites is something we just saw recently. That's an absolute pillow. If you, if you, you have to stop to think about it. Yaakov Inu has the Nisayan of his life. He's told in to go in and steal the brachas and lie or tell an untruth. And uh, just as the business aside, I was giving a chesha mishpashir recently, and I mentioned Derech Agav, which I was surprised was a chiddush to some people. 
that if you say Anochi Becharecha Esav and say Anochi Becharecha semicolon dash colon comma uh, and then you say Esav that's still Sheker <coughs> and one guy insisted he does that business all the time and he learns it from here <laughs> the, the, the message over here is that if you have to lie then you have to say it in a way like eating on Yom Kippur it's like you don't, uh, you don't need to do seven course meal so Yaakov is teaching us when you have to say a white lie for Shalabayis or because you're listening to your mother who's in a and it's her Shah. so then if you have to lie anyways you try to not lie more than you have to but that's not a heter. So Yaakov is under extreme pressure over here, Tita Nemes and he's asked to go against his grain in an Isayan that he's really, really uncomfortable with. He does it because his mother is uh, telling him to do it, and he knows that it's Ratzon Hashem. He also knows that Esau Harasha went out to hunt, and he's very good at what he does. Actually, he's not too good, but he uh, has Nimrod's stolen suit. So the animals just sort of faint away, and it's, uh, he's going to be back in, uh, in seven minutes. So he goes in for the bracha, and um, there are short brachas and long brachas. Well, he's under tremendous pressure, and uh, Yitzchak Avinu starts, and Tal Shemayim, Shemana Eretz, and can you imagine, imagine Yitzchak Avinu davening, and he's saying each word with tremendous kavana. I'm not saying whether Yaakov Avinu wants to leave. He was, he was getting the, we are still getting the maximum benefit from this uh, bracha, but it was certainly nerve-wracking. There was really not enough time. And the Pasuk tells us, As soon as the bracha ended, Even without Rashi, you know just from the words, means it was a very, very close call. In case you didn't catch the Rambas in the Pasuk, Rashi says, Yatsa, Yatsa, Ze, Yetziv, Ze, Ba. If you look at the Madrashim, you know that it was so close that Esav actually came into the room when Yaakovina was still there. Yaakovina heard him coming in, backed up against the shadow of the background, and Esav walked straight, and Yaakovina was diving, he shouldn't turn around, because had he turned around, he would have killed him on the spot. And Esav went straight in, did not turn around, and then when he went further in, Yaakovina slipped out the door. The Pele is that we know that Chazal also tell us that Esau should have been there a lot sooner. The Brocha indeed took a long time because Yisrael Avinu had to eat and he had to bench and he had to then give the Brocha and he had to first uh, have identification of the uh, person who was standing here, which took a while and it still wasn't so pushed. And B'der Chateva Esau would have been back and the Malach was sent every time Esau made a net that the animals should fall in, the Malach came and undid the net. My kash is obvious. If HaKash Baruch is already sending a Malach to do an ace, to delay Esav. So if you delay Esav by 45 minutes, we banish it all, and you can't delay him by 48 minutes, and Yaakov didn't get out there without uh, nearly fainting? Why was it necessary for Yaakov to be there when Esav walks in? Yaakov is the classic tzaddik of Abal Bitochen, the Bechir Shabbat so I'm sure there's no shayla. He understood that everything's Ratzon Hashem. But when you're still there and Esav walks in, that's certainly pressure. What for? If there was no Nase, okay, so this is what it ended up. So Hashem leaves some things to Teva. But that's not what happened over here. The Malach anyway kept delaying him and delaying him and delaying him until he butchered a dog and brought it as he was fed up. So if he's delaying it 45 minutes, why not delay it 47 minutes and make everything smooth? 
It's a good kasha. There are many people in life who wonder why Kosh Baruch Hu couldn't do that for them in many situations. And that's exactly the point I want to raise. Kosh Baruch Hu is always helping us anyway. He's doing nisim and flows with us. See, sometimes wonder after the Misa, boy, was that close. And we wonder in the back of our mind, you didn't want to admit it, that Kosh Baruch Hu helped me, Baruch Hashem. Maybe the Yeshua could have come three minutes earlier. Why, 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 why wait to the last minute? So what's the pshat? I don't know if you ever thought about this. We've all been through many Yeshuas. So why? The answer is, I think, two main points. There are probably more. One is that Kosh Baruch Hu wants to show us that he's involved. And if we walk out calmly six, seven minutes before and so then I took care of it. It happened. Everything's fine. Everything's under control. And Kosh Baruch Hu is helping me, but uh, it wasn't that close. The famous Meissen Flappish, the guy was uh, diving to Hashem for a parking space, and as he's diving, the guy pulls out and says, okay, Kosh Baruch I found one. <laughs> so <laughs> I had that coming here. So... <laughs> So Hashem wants us to know, wants to do us the favor, letting us know that yes, it's a very close call, and without the Yad Hashem, this is not really happening. And if we're Zeichet to see that, we're only Zeichet often when we're pointed in that direction. The second Musar HaSkel is that Akash Baruch Hu wants to remind us, and if we're on the Madrega and we have the Schuss, we'll get reminded often, every minute in life counts. And a person who says, I don't have an extra four minutes to learn, a person who says, I don't have an extra two minutes for this chesed, or I don't have an extra $20 to write a bigger check, doesn't understand that the main schar, the main nisoyen in life, is dafka when you're under pressure, and you could do this much, and you opt to try to do this much. That extra 5%, that extra 2%, is where all the big schar is. And Yaakov Avinu understood that. He understood that he was here, and Hashem wanted to give him schar, full schar for what he was doing. And Hashem could have easily made it a lot calmer and kept Esav away for another couple hours. And of course, Baruch Hu didn't. Yaakov Avinu walks out and says, why was that situation created? It's to show me, of course, Baruch Hu is with me, yes. And it's also to show me that everything has a calculation down to the second. And the difference between good which everybody is, and la'ela, and fantastic, is the extra few minutes, sometimes the extra few seconds. And what's amazing is, is that there are people who tell me that in their professional career, it's the sixth time they've gone over this report, and it's a good thing they went back one more time for extra chazar, because they caught one sentence that to convince, clinch the deal. Maybe yeah, maybe not. But when it comes to their gashmis and their panasa, they're very, very careful to make sure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed. And even if it takes an extra few minutes of effort that they didn't really think was necessary, they're willing to put it in. And our working year should be on the same level. We're used to thinking that uh, when these pressurized situations are engineered, so we did something wrong. Now, often, a tircha and a tzara that a person goes to Lo'aleinu is a kapar. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. But Yaakov himself had an interesting discussion coming soon, next week, in Parashat Vayishlach. After the Malach attacked him and fought all night, and Yaakov finally won, the Malach wants to go, 
And the Pasuk says, V'yusha Yaakov, V'yem HaGidon HaShemecha, V'yem HaLom HaZetisha LaShmi, V'yavarach Eisei Sham. Very mysterious conversation. What did Yaakov Yenu want to know about the name? And did he answer him? Did he not answer him? You look at the Sephorna here. Sephorna always speaks volumes in, the, in the half a sentence. Sephorna says, HaGidon HaShemecha. What did Yaakov Yenu want to know about the Malach? Hamera al Tzuroscha. I want to know what you're all about, what the mahus of this particular shlichus is. Why were you sent? Listen to this. So I want to know why you came to almost destroy me. I want to know what I did wrong so I could do tshuva and daven. A good question. So what did the Malach answer? Malach says, you didn't do anything wrong. I have no name over here because there's no tag on me that says go cause Soros to Yaakovino as a kapara. Sometimes that's the case. Mal says that wasn't the case over here. I came to give you a rough time so that you can win and generate schusim for Klai Yisrael. It was a growth opportunity. And every Nisayan and every pressurized situation is a growth opportunity. You just have to be ready for it. The challenge in life is to learn and learn a lot of Musr and clarify your Ashkafas and keep going back to it so that when the situation arises, I got a beautiful email from a young man last night who's um, having some challenges in his uh, Shalom bias. Let's put it that way. That's an understatement. Um, and, um, you know, in these situations, there's always enough blame to go around. They're newly married. It'll, you know... I told him it takes time to you know, blend together and to get used to each other. He asked me how long. I said 40, 50 years, and he'll have a down path. And, um, and he's, uh, he comes to me for advice once in a while. And uh, he sent me an email last night. He said, I don't want to talk Lush and Har, but... So usually I should really shut the email at that point. Uh, but unfortunately, part of the hazards of the job is I have to read on because I know I'm going to hear about it from the other side anyway, so I might as well hear both sides of the story. Uh, the beautiful part of the email, the first part of the email wasn't too beautiful. The beautiful part of the email, the second part, was that since we had a recent conversation about these in Yanim, he actually, for the first time in a long time, didn't completely blow up. Which means that he's now capable of not losing it. That's already, it was a chiddush to him. Capable of not losing it, and he also understood that it's a good thing we had that conversation, it was about three days ago because it was fresh in his mind, and he sort of saw a big neon sign. This is a test. And most of the things we go through in life, we're just missing the neon sign. It's a question of how to prepare, what's your reaction going to be, how are you going to say it, and what you're going to say. And often uh, what he uh, said in his last line of his email is, I realized that remaining quiet was an excellent option. It's a question of holding on to himself for another 30 seconds. That those 30 seconds, he could have lost it again, and then it would have cost me three hours. Or he could hold on for 30 seconds and realize that if I could do this once, I could do this twice, I could do this three times. And I didn't mention this to him, but I mentioned this to another uh, candidate uh, a few weeks back. I asked him, I said, let me ask you a personal question. When's the last time you blew up at your boss? So he looked at me, blow up at my boss? I said, yeah, blow up at your boss. He said, what do you think I am, crazy? <laughs> So I said, why is it, uh, I said, apparently you can hold yourself together. He said, yeah, I like to be able to keep my jobs. <laughs> he didn't realize until I pointed out there was a connection between keeping his wife and keeping his job. He didn't really put that together. Uh, but 
it, we are all clearly capable of dealing with these standards. It's a question of what our priority is. And in terms of pushing the agenda of the good things we're doing, we have to understand that, again, we're doing wonderful as a community. question is how to ratchet up another 5%, another 10%, another 15%. Let me focus on one um, of the many aspects of our Vedas Hashem. Not just the learning, which is obviously for the men of primary importance and for the women and making their uh, time uh, available, letting their husbands out of the house, encouraging their husbands out of the house. I don't want to say throwing their husbands out of the house, but uh, making the time available that they can use uh, every minute they have for their learning. You're all familiar with the famous Gemara and Brochus on Dalf Chof Amal Aleph. Why is it that the earlier Darius saw more Nisim? This is Rapapa asking Abaye. We're still by Amaran. Ila Rabbi Yudi brings an example of Ishal of Chadmisan. He used to take off one of his shoes just to sit down to start davening. Asim Mitra started pouring. We're screaming and yelling at Davini, and the rain doesn't come. What are we missing? Amalei, so Abai said to our Papa, Kamai Havi Kamasi Nashayar Gadushis Hashem, Anon Loy Masrin and Nafshin Gadushis Hashem. We are not as good as the previous Darius were in really looking to be Meser Nefesh for Kiddush Shem Shemayim. We always uh, assume Kiddush Shemayim is something we do in our minds twice a day, once in the morning, once at night. When you get to Bechol Nafshech on Kriya Shemayim, you're supposed to conjure up, Kilu, they're ready to execute you for not doing Avodah Zarah, and we're willing to get killed on Kiddush Hashem. Getting killed on Kiddush Hashem is a very difficult Nisayim. As all the Mepharshim point out, living al pi Kiddush Hashem and looking for the Kiddush Hashem and maximizing each Kiddush Hashem day by day is something that uh, is not attainable with 100% success. But if we wake up in the morning and understand our Veda today is to learn and to daven and to do mitzvahs and to smile and to look for opportunities of Kiddush Shem Shemayim. And that doesn't mean with Goyim, primarily by Yidin, also by Goyim. And the Gemara, as far back as Rapapa and Abaye, say that the earlier Darius were better at it. An example I was thinking about recently, this took place slightly before my time, but it's a part of American history, part of American Jewish history. If you ask any secular American Jew, what was the greatest Kiddush Shem Shemayim in the history of American Jewry? Sandy Koufax, very good. He's right, that's what I was going to get to. Let me, let me spend a couple of minutes on Sandy, okay? Because I see that uh, anybody young enough over here uh, not to know who Sandy Koufax was. He was a little born before my time, but I know who he was. Okay, I had such a, I had such a mechaya, by the way. I, I was sitting with two younger lights who, but you're not going to believe the story, but it happened two days ago. I was um, discussing something uh, with them that they needed for uh, a particular program. And um, I was sitting with a, um, an aquam in the room, some government program. It's a, the story's complicated, but I was trying to help them out. And uh, I turned to the, to the aquam, and I told him uh, about an interesting shayla I once received from somebody at the Super Bowl. 
don't know if I ever shared the shayla. I think we had a share with Neiver. I tell you the shayla. The guy was uh, guy brought a client, flew a client in his private jet to the Super Bowl, and uh, he was sitting. He made a big mistake. He sat down. Here's the aisle. He sat in the first seat, and the guy sat one seat in. And he was from, the other guy was Jewish. And in the middle of the game, the guy came by with the hot dogs. And he said, uh, do me a favor, uh, uh, Harry, can you pass me a hot dog? And he said, sure. And then he said, um, maybe. <laughs> he looked at him. Here's the client. He spent $20,000 flying down to impress him to the game. Uh, this is not a heter to be there. This, I'm just a maestro shayu kachoyu. Uh, and, um, and he said, maybe? He said, yeah, I just got to make a quick call. He called me from the game. Uh-huh. Couldn't hear a thing. There was such a rush in the background. I don't know what everybody's screaming about in the background there. But, uh, and his shayla was, uh, I said, what did you sit in the aisle at a Super Bowl for? You got to know where to sit in life. You should have been sitting one in. So, so anyway, so I was repeating the shayla. It's a, a different story how it came in the conversation to the Akimbu was sitting there, and the two young light over there were looking at me a little perplexed. And I turned to them, I said, this looks like the Super Bowl. Do you know what the Super Bowl is? And they said, no, never heard of it. I kid you not. Never heard of the Super Bowl. Uh, you'll, uh, you might find that hard to believe. I also found that hard to believe. I said, I thought they were joking. And uh, they said, what? I said, you know, it's a game with, you know, a lot of, like, uh, people on the stands, and there were like, 100 million people watching. I said, weren't familiar with it. Baruch Hashem. I was happy to uh, give him a big hug. I never met somebody who didn't know what the Super Bowl was. Anyway, so you all know who Sandy is. So, um, what is fascinating about the story, and I want to I quote, I, I, don't, uh, I don't often, as a matter of fact, I probably never did, uh, quote President Obama in a Hakel Joshim. <laughs> Uh, this is going to be a first and maybe a last uh, to be out of office soon. But uh, this story took place in 2010, where uh, President Obama had a, they've had this meeting for a few years already, where he gets all the uh, Jews of note, or he thinks who the Jews of note, into the White House, and they have a whole uh, party. When they do that, Hanukkah, I guess? I don't know. Where they have some sort of a... Okay, Jewish heritage, thank you. So, um, so... So Obama got up to speak, and um, he said that he was very impressed. It's a very uh, fancy, distinguished group over here. They had uh, uh, Jews from the House and Jews from the Senate and two justices of the Supreme Court and Olympic athletes and some rabbis, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what, whatever. Some clergy people. I don't know who was there exactly. Uh, and uh, he goes through the entire list, and then at the end of the list, he says, and Sandy Koufax. And when he said that, he was there. When he said that name, everybody broke out in tremendous applause, and he was like, hands down, the most popular person in the room. So he mentioned in his introduction, once he got such a rise out of people about Sandy Koufax, he said that um, Sandy and I have something in common. I can't pitch, and he can't pitch on Yom Kippur. Of course, me and President Obama have something in common also, because I can't run the government on Shabbos Yantav, and he can't run the government. So, <laughs> so that's, a, that's something that, you know, it's not a political speech. It's not a, not a political speech, and it's not a gay penny vote, but I just thought it was interesting that he would make that lambas. Uh, so, uh, so, um, so he was there uh, singing the shvach of Sandy Kovics, and I, I'm looking at that, so this is a blur, but I was wondering... Why is it you have a room with President Obama, predominantly secular crowd of Jews in the room, and he talks about, you had senators there, you had congressmen there, you had uh, chief justice, you had a uh, chashava, chashava in the, the secular world, like the top of the top, 
and Sandy Koufax. And the only thing that people got up and started clapping about was Sandy Koufax. Why is it that he's such a hero? You'll say he was the greatest Jewish baseball player to live. That's not so pushing. He was very good. But, you know, there were others. So why is, a, why is a secular Jew getting up and clapping? Why are we so proud? Why is it that all the from a in this room, I put out the question and you already jumped in. Why is that? The answer is, and here's a Yid, Tinek Shanishba, and he's still alive, I think. Right? Tinek Shanishba, I think at the time that he made his very, very fateful decision, he was an Eichon of Elis Never kept Shabbos, never kept anything. That, that was my understanding. I'm going to hold it against him. He's a Tinishanishba. And yet, everybody understands from Jews, Fry Yidin, Goyim, presidents, everybody understands. If you ask Obama, why is he so popular? He wouldn't say he knew how to throw a ball. He wouldn't say that. He knew how to throw a ball also, but that, that's not why he's so popular. He's popular, as Obama said it himself, is that he doesn't pitch on Yom Kippur. Which means the man had one assignment in his life, which, according to Rob Dessler, you all know Rob Dessler has one theme he goes back to over and over again, and that is Nekudus HaVachira. That everybody in life is born where there's a very, very small amount of room in two Nekudus, where below the bottom Nekuda, it's not even an assignment for him, and below the top Nekuda, it's not even as wild as dreams. Ladugma. This morning, we all woke up, Baruch Hashem. As soon as the alarm clock went off, did anybody here struggle? Should I murder somebody today? Should I not? Should I shoot somebody? Should I not? Then go back and forth and turn over in your bed and they get out of bed and you say, that's it, today I'm going to be good. I'm not going to shoot anybody. So why not? The answer is, Adesel says, that's any science. It's, it's in the Minyan Alavim of the Tayyag Mitzvahs. But it's way, way, I hope, way below our Nekudus Abachir. We didn't have a struggle about bacon and eggs this morning either. Baruch Hashem, most of Tayyag Mitzvahs is way below on the Kudus We don't even struggle with it anymore. On the other hand, we all woke up this morning. How many were struggling to figure out should they learn today 13 hours or 14 hours? I shouldn't say. Maybe most of the Eilam already, that's below the Nekudus But for many of us, we would say, okay, it's Thanksgiving, we understand, we've got a hakel, and a hakel uh, we set up, it's four hours, okay, then i got night set, i got that family, seven hours, maybe I'll squeeze seven and a half, but uh, I also have family things, I'm going to get together, we're going to eat chicken today, <laughs> and, um, and we have other things to do, you know, it is, it is my day off. So we have the Nakudas, the Nakudas of Achir, is between seven and seven and a half, or five or five and a half, or three and three and a half. So, Rav Dessler points out, again, in many different pieces, that the job in life is to always raise the Nekudus HaBechira. So, today's Nisayan will be perhaps a new Nisayan because I raised the Nekudus HaBechira. And what I've been struggling with now is, I don't say put to bed because you always have to be on guard. But Lamaisa, we hope that if we raise it, we'll have new Nisayan. So, one fellow, I once gave a shear on, on the whole the whole concept, and one fellow said that he doesn't really understand why he should work his way up, because every time he finally overpowers the Yitzhahara, the next morning he has a new Nisayan in a new area, so like he's not getting anywhere. He's running at a treadmill. The answer is no, that's the whole Tachlis Achayim. It's to constantly raise the Nekudus HaBechira, and yesterday's Nisayan is now somewhat under control, and now we have new horizons. Sandy Koufax had very, very little room in his Nekudus HaBechira. 
Because for him, Shabbos didn't exist, and Kashas didn't exist, and Shatnas, probably in his baseball gloves, that didn't exist either. Uh, I checked it out then. And it wasn't even on the radar screen, unfortunately. He grew up, I think he grew up originally in Brooklyn. Yom Kippur, he's heard of. And he understood it doesn't pass for a high-profile Jew like me to pitch on Yom Kippur. Ah, they all told him in no uncertain terms that I believe it was the first game of the World Series. And he was the starting pitcher. Matter of fact, when he didn't pitch at the end, the other guy started and it was getting clobbered. And when the coach went over to him in the middle, he told him, I bet you wish I was Jewish and wasn't here. <laughs> that was his first. So it was really, really bad. It was really, really important that he pitch. I mean, we can't imagine the pressure. We, we, it, it boggles the mind. This is Yesh Kenaloma. What is a Kurdish Baruch? Or Mesha has a very distinct sheet. There's a Shaila whether many places can argue or not, but in Hilchas Geiris. So we have a concept of Ger Kutten, the Sugya and Daf Yadal Fink Suvis. So the main Nakuda has a Ger Kutten work, he has no Das. And it says it works, there's Zachalam Shlobafonov. It's quite clear in the Peskim, it has to be a schutz for the kid. So many Peskim say that the parents who are adopting have to be from, because if they're not from, the kid's going to grow up and violate every area in the book. That's not a schutz. And all Geiris is not Chal. It's a big problem. Ramesha has an interesting Chiddush. He says, well, maybe it is a schutz, because whatever mitzvahs he happens to do, he's going to bump into certain mitzvahs, even if it goes up completely fry. Whatever mitzvahs he does is a schutz. And whatever Averis he does, he's a Tinnik Shanishba. So in Shemayim, whatever the Psaki is in Shemayim, but for somebody like Sandy, he didn't know anything else, so whatever he was doing, he's a Tinnish Nishba. His one moment of truth is this going to look good for the Jewish religion in terms of what the American people will think of what I think of my religion. They're looking at me. What do I hold of God? And what do I hold of my religion? And he realized that he can't do it. And we think that, yeah, he was so good then, he could do what he wants, they didn't need him, and this and that, they didn't need him. They were, uh, there were many people who had some very choice words to say about him as they were losing that game. Very choice words. And I think what we uh, learned from here is that if you can have an unlettered Jew who really didn't know Benjamino the Smola, but what he understood, he pursued, we have a room full of B'nai Yeshiva and B'nai Teira and B'nai Yaakov graduates and seminary graduates. We know exactly what's going on. We know exactly what our Aved is. We know exactly what we have to do. And hopefully we are going to start keeping in mind what incredible gifts Hashem has given us to enable us to do it rather easily. The mitzvahs are lying around in the street. So we say, okay, we are doing it. We're here. We had our coffee. We had our Danish. We're here. And that's Gavaldik. What are we doing day in and day out to raise that Nekudus HaBechira? The same hour Seder you had in the morning, if it's a year or two or three old, it should have been an hour and five minutes by now, an hour and ten minutes by now. You say, well, I've got to get to work, so get to work. So then expand the ten minutes at work. Says, You're working throughout the day. Figure something out. There's always time to raise the agenda. And learning, and stucco, and davening, whatever your area that you're working on. seems to be running out of time here. (laughs) 
I'll go back to one of my discussions. This is not uh, yesterday's email on the um, Shalom bias issues. And by the way, when I say Shalom bias, I don't just mean spousal issues. There actually is not that bad. There are some people who get along. Um, not that many, but some. Uh, I, um, I find myself dealing, you know, two people come for a din terror. So um, having this, this and that fight at the office and the partners and uh, they were friends, now they're not friends. And uh, I often find the same issues I deal with in people's shalom bias I'm dealing with at the office and the partnership. It's the same people who have not yet worked on their midas. It's the same people who are putting themselves in terms of where I come and where we come and have it all mixed up. It's the same set of problems. And one fellow in the middle remarked to me that, um, and this is from a firm person, it's about the only excuse you could try to muster. And that is that, you know, I'm, I try to be from, I give stalker, I learn, I dive in, I send my children to good yeshivas. And it happens to be that I wasn't born such a nice guy, and um, you're asking me to be Mavater. We're trying to make some Shara Karav Ladin. You ask me to be Mavater, is I have a lot of good points, he tells me. Giving in is not one of them. <laughs> Which I knew already from the preceding. Uh, <laughs> and um, so he's kind of trying to front for that, you know, I'm so good in so many areas, no one's perfect. The problem is, is that certainly in the Midas department, for somebody to admit, that's already a godless, that he's not so good and he's not so effective over here, but afterwards in the same sentence to call it a day and say, well, you know, I'm, everybody's good at something. I tried to tell him, I said, that would be nice if it wasn't affecting someone else. It would be nice if it wasn't affecting your life. I told him in a veiled uh, remez that uh, I can't believe this is not affecting things at home with your spouse and your children, but I said, you're not here for that. But it's certainly affecting things in the office, I told them, and it's the third time you've been here with three different partners. So, obviously, this isn't only a question of somebody's not doing the number crunching correctly, or he said, she said, and somebody forgot to fill out the contract. Apparently, it's a this issue, and he said, I agree, and I'm a little bit harder to get along with, but that's why I've succeeded in life, he tells me, with a straight face. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I don't, uh, unfortunately, I don't have to make up any of these stories. So I, um, I showed him the following uh, Bir Agrah, which I'd like to read to you. This is a Bir Agrah in Michelin. If uh, you never had the uh, luxury and the uh, sheer hana of going through the Gain on Michelin, you should, uh, you should try it one day. Uh, the Gain doesn't need anybody's haskamas, but each, uh, each, each paragraph is a pearl. He's talking about the contrast Chazal make between Shoal and David. Chazal make a comment, Shoal made one mistake, he made more than one, but uh, one early on in his career, so to speak, that cost him the kingdom. And Hashem, he did Shuvah, and he died at Tzadik, he's in the Maba, but Hashem didn't give him back the kingdom. And David, Bishtayim, David had two major issues, one of them is Bathsheba, and he didn't lose the Melucha over it. So Chazal make the comment, the question is, so what's the pshat? There's no favoritism, why is it so? So I'll read to you the Lushan. V'inyan hu? Ki bedavid namav hu admaini hu b'madin. David was born, he looked like Esav. Born under the influence of the Red Planet, you're familiar with the Sugi and Shabbos. That ain't Mazel Yisrael, but Yesh Mazel Yisrael, which means the Mazel plays a role, and you got to sort of like dive in your way out of it and try to change. 
and it's a lifetime, lifetime of an Aveda to change Amida. He was so much under the influence when Shmuel and Avi met him. If you can imagine the Arizal knew Chachmas Apirtsu, so Shmuel and Avi knew it even more. As he walked in, Shmuel and Avi could see. And Avi sees David Amalek. He says, he's for sure not. He already had gone to all the other brothers. He was the last one in. He's for sure not a candidate. And Akash Baruch Hu said, what you're seeing is correct because he was born with those Midas, but he's been working on himself his entire life to change those Midas and channel them to use it to kill the Risha Yisrael and the, uh, the Goyim he's fighting. And he changed it all and channeled it in the right direction. Very, very difficult, painful avoider, but he did it. Even though he still had two serious things in his record, once he was willing to go through this very frustrating process of changing your mohus, changing mohus is very difficult because you can't throw out the baby with the best. You have to change what needs to be changed and still leave the personality. That's a very difficult thing to do. It takes years and years. But he did it. On the things that he did which were uh, circumstantial, if we'll call it. But it wasn't part of his mohus. When Shaul was picked as king, he was Keben Shana. He was almost a perfect tzaddik. In the Midas department, for sure, he was the biggest honor of Klayisal. He went to hide. And unfortunately, Shaul's Nekudas of Bechira started up here. And now he had the very difficult task of dealing with his Midas of humility and knowing when not to use it. So when he became king and he was too humble, some people in the peanut gallery said, ah, that's not a king, he's not going to do anything. And he was mechel and he didn't say anything. There he should have put the humility aside and put his foot down. And because Shaul wasn't, can't say wasn't able, but didn't rise to the occasion to change his inherent midas, he lost the job. And the going goes on to say that the whole tachas is to find those Bad midas, so those rotten midas, so those dangerous midas. No one midas inherently rotten. It's good. Humility is gewaldic. You just have to know where to apply it. And being cruel is not inherently rotten either. If you're using it for a molek, it's a fight Muhammad Hashem. Question is to identify it, be honest about it, and to channel it. And that's why David Amal survived and Shaul didn't. So to stand up in a dinner and say that I have very wonderful, wonderful midas and I give a lot of tzedakah, and I learned and I dive in, I just never give in on principles, not the money, of course. To get up and say that, I don't, he's not a bad person for having that issue. Many people have that issue. But to say and declare, he's not even working on it. It's not part of his Avaitis Hashem anymore because that's the way he is. That's called giving up. A person's not, he's dealing with his inclusive Bechir, he's not interested in raising it. And that can't be found in a firm lifestyle. From lifestyle is to look where it hurts and to figure out what needs. Now, I know it sounds like a chiddush to a lot of people. People have asked me, I've said this notion before, they said, well, you've got to work with the midas. It's not a stira. The girl has also. So you have to know where the personality can be channeled. You have to know what to break. You have to know what to rebuild. You have to figure it out, but you've got to deal with it. And David dealt with it better than Shaul did, even though Shaul, in the pristine existence, might have been in a higher madrega starting off.
As I mentioned at the beginning, we live in a tukufa of incredible, incredible opportunity. And the fact that we're not living under fire shouldn't lead to an existence where we are just more relaxed in general and we're taking it easy, we're doing the mitzvahs, but we have time to spare. If we have time to spare, then the mysterious nefesh is not on par with what our brothers and sisters are doing in Israel, and it shouldn't be like that. If Hashem gave us the tools, that's usually a simim and a shamayim when you're given a gift, that it's a very opportune time to capitalize on these avedas. And a case in point, Hannah davened for a child for many, many, many years. And she davened and davened, and the interim, the answer was no. We all know that she was davening in the Mishkan. She ended up getting a bracha from the Kain Gadol, from Eli. She had a child. And the question is, why did it, why did it come then? So, whenever you daven, this is also a difficult point that Ashkafa people sometimes ask me. I'm davening for something for many years. Do I have a right to stop? Should I continue? Is it Ashkafically sound to stop? Just as a side, it's really a, a shmuzbif neyatzma. If a person davening something for 20 years and, and it hasn't come yet, he has a right to stop. It's not a chisar and a bitochen. It could be the answer is no, and it's not part of your avodah Hashem. Do they have to stop? I don't think the answer to that is yes. Yeah, I think they have a right to continue because maybe the formula Shemayim is they're waiting for 78,000 tefillahs and you're at 76 and you need another year and a half. You have a right to continue. It's a, it's a shayla of hergish. You don't have to continue. You have a right to. I know that probably begs more questions than I'm trying to answer, but let's put that aside for now. Chana understood part of her tachazachayim is to have this child. She wanted the child. L'shem Shemayim, as the Gemara Baruch says, and she understood that Klai Yisrael at this point needed new leadership. It was a change of the Kufa from the Shaftim to the Nevi'im. They were going to appoint Malachim soon. And she wanted to do this for Klai Yisrael. Rav Dessel says in another piece that the reason Chana succeeded now is because in Shemayim, she didn't know it was a change of the Kufa. She understood that Klai Yisrael needed help. She didn't know that this tefillah now is going to be answered because Klai Yisrael needs the help. And therefore, if you daven now and you do it l'shem shamayim, you will get the gift that is needed to help them along. So I believe it's a davar pashat to be able to notice that if you had to outline what Golis is supposed to look like, give it 10 points on what Golis is supposed to entail. Besides, which is a big thing, besides the fact that we're not in Yisrael and we don't have the Aved in the base of Mitch, but in terms of the horrific parts of Golis here in America, there's come out nothing there. None of the major points you put down on paper exist in Golis America. We're getting these gifts day in and day out. And what that tells me is that we have a special opportunity and an achrayis, a heavy responsibility, to capitalize on this. And I can't overemphasize this. It's not going to be followed by an appeal. But I hear, I know a lot of Choshua Balit Stokka and Klai in the Stokka department is doing quite well. Again, we're talking in this schmooze about the next 5-10%. So with that, with that compliment said, I will on occasion hear a comment like, uh, well, they can't keep coming from HSL asking for money is that we're not made of money. Uh, you know, we're giving, we're trying. That is so off base, it's incredible. No one ever asked anybody to write a check that's going to give them the difficult financial situation where they can't pay their mortgage or the next credit card bill. And that's not usually where the battle is. It's a question, and again, this is a huge topic, and I understand. I can't tell you how many people have told me, and I'm not even asking them for the money. They're coming to me for eights and stockers. That's good already. 
And the most common thing I hear is that, you know, Baruch Hashem, I don't want to say anything, Akash Baruch is watching, Panosa is very, very good, but you know, it's a cash flow issue. You've heard that before? So, cash flow issue means that I, Baruch Hashem, I think I have enough for the next month or year or five years to take care of the basic bills, basic bills like the Gimel of Eretz HaChemuris, you know, mortgage, cell phone, you know, the, the, the basic list, you know, the set, the set costs. So what are they really saying? And I pointed this out to somebody. I said, what you're really saying is you're trying to decide if you give an extra five grand, ten grand, that could cut out your second vacation. And uh, one person was honest enough to say, uh, that's definitely going to cut out my second vacation. I said, but I'm correct. It's your second vacation. And he said, yeah. I said, to where? He said, let's not talk about it. (laughs) So I left that one alone. Uh, But again... So we have to figure out on ourselves. It's not, I'm, I'm not saying it's not good to everybody. Some people are struggling to pay their bills. But there are people, the, the basic bills are there. The question is, where am I setting the bar of my lifestyle? If you'd have to be, Rahman blind not to see that Kosh created a Yisach Zavul relationship here. There are Baruch Hashem, plenty of people learning in America, and the yeshivas and the kailam need money here also. Let's not make that mistake. i got to... I'll call from somebody after one of my uh, drushes about that. I'm not saying not. There's these Yisachas of in America, and these Yisachas of from America, Day to Israel, and they're both true. And the good news is we can handle both. We can handle it whether you're the Ma'asa or the Isa. The Isa is the guy writing the checks. The Ma'asa is making sure that people are hashkafically sound enough. This is not a question about writing the check. That's the last thing you do. It's the hashkafas hachayim. What are we here for? And does it really make a difference to our coach Baruch if I'm giving a lot of stock anyway, whether I squeeze another 5%? The answer is yes. It can make a difference between having somebody having bread on the table. It's a difference of 5%. And you know what? As many people tell me, I'm giving what I can give. I, I can't generate another 5%. I said, you can't because you have it earmarked for other things. The question is, can we go over your list of earmarked items and see whether everything there is necessary? And I'm often asked, everything has to be necessary? I said, it doesn't have to be. I can't say you're mechoyiv. I'm talking to people who are giving maizah, some of them are giving chaymish. I have, by the way, many kulas in Piskei Alachas. One of my most favorite is a Shalom Azamah's kula. Somebody wants to give more than 20%. I have seven heterim. He said he's interested after the shear. Uh, the, the, the biggest hatter on the top, the Chavaz Chaim says, whenever it's learning Yitzchak volan, that's a business deal. Chazal never put a cap on a business deal. So the question at the bottom of the line is, what are you willing to give up? And that means Mesiris Nefesh. And I think it's very obvious in Shemayim, if we're sitting here in peace and tranquility, we're not exempt because we happen to live here. Hashem is demanding the same Mesiris Nefesh. Baruch Hashem is not with missiles and with terrorists and with bombs and with people who can't find a job even if they wanted to. It's a question of here, have everything, take everything you need, have lots of nachas. With what you have, add on the 10, 15, 5, 20%, whatever it is in your time and in your money, your resources to show that you're willing to do it because it's necessary and to willing to be made so nefesh for it. I'll closed five minutes ago. Let me just close with one more item. Uh, we don't go over time, uh, so you remind me we left uh, some of this out. I'll just close with one um, one very interesting pasuk that I noticed. Find it. It should sound familiar with last Shabbos, but there's also a built-in kasha over here. Just a push-up shot. Yitzhak Avinu is digging wells. He's digging and they're fighting and there's hostilities back and forth. And they're stopping them up. 
he digs and they stop it up, he digs again. Yachbu Beracheres, Vivu Gamalev, Yikr Shema Sidna. Yatik Misham, Vyachbu Beracheres, Vala Rovu Allah. Finally, the third one, these are very deep in Yanim, Besamitish Rishon Shani Shlishi, and a host of other in Yanim. Finally, the third one, they stop fighting, Vikra Shema Rochavas, Vayemer, Kiata, Hirch of Hashem, Lana Purina Baritz. Baruch Hashem, we made it. After years of fighting and screaming and yelling and lawsuits, they finally left me alone. We dug it and it's here. No? What would you do if you came to this point in life? Well, many of us would probably go to that place the guy didn't want to tell me about. Take off, I deserve it, Magiali, I worked hard, and it's time to go on vacation and relax a little bit. At least, if you're not going on vacation, Yitzchak not going on vacation, obviously, at least stay there and enjoy the fruits of your labor, whatever the bear represented. So stay there and, 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 and reap the benefits. Pella, Gabi Pella. The very next Pesach, Vayami Sham Be'er Sheva, he leaves. Why is Yitzchak leaving? He just fought hand-to-hand combat. He finally got the, say that a figure of speech, he finally got the bear, and whatever it stands for, it's here. And he moves to Be'er Sheva. Why is he moving to Be'er Sheva? Lesson is, as soon as you win the battle, don't rest on your laurels. Get up and go on to the next pro- project. Raise the bar, raise the kudus of and don't pat yourself on the back too much. One little pat is fine for self-esteem. After that, get up and look for the next project. Mitzvah Shem, our projects will succeed and we'll be able to join all of the rest of Klai's own aid to Israel very soon. Peace and tranquility. Have a good day.